1: That's pretty much a given. And the world tells us that success looks like recognition. Would you agree? It looks like being the best. It looks like maybe achieving our goals, whether that's fitness goals, financial goals. It looks like promotion. But I don't know about you, but what I've found as I read the word, the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, what I find is that often what is celebrated and lifted up here on earth is actually not really of any value in heaven, exactly what Pastor Jordan was sharing about in our giving. And then what is actually valued in heaven is often overlooked here on earth. And so we can get caught up in chasing the world's version of success and greatness and actually miss it. And so tonight I wanted to talk a bit about that, about what it really means to be great. Is that good? Awesome. So have you ever wondered what it would have been like for Jesus growing up? Like at what point do you think that he would have known that he was God? And More than that, at what point would he have known that the reason he was here on earth was to die, to die for our sins? We know that, you know, when he was 12 and the parents brought him to Jerusalem for the Passover and they lost him for three days. Imagine that parents, (laughs) three days, lost God, but they finally found him in the temple and he said, don't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So we know from quite young, he had a bit of understanding that God was his father And then we know that during his three years of ministry, when we um, have all the records and the letters from the the disciples, that there are multiple, multiple times when Jesus actually reveals that he knew what was coming, what was about to happen which is pretty full on, right? In John 12, we'll just look at this one. um, Jesus says, "'The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. "'Very truly, I tell you, "'unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, "'it remains only a single seed. "'But if it dies, it produces many seeds.'" Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's powerful. Jesus lived his whole life in anticipation of this hour. Have you ever thought about what you would do and what you would say if you knew that you were going to face death tomorrow? Because really we don't know, right? But if we knew, what would we say? And how would we spend our last hours? And who would we spend them with? And I think we can be pretty certain that we'd be really intentional about it, right? We'd make sure that we don't leave anything unsaid, that we gather the most important people in our world and we tell them what we need them to know. And um, tonight I want to read from another account from John, one of Jesus' disciples. And in less than 24 hours, Jesus was about to face the agony of crucifixion. So he had precious little time left to prepare his disciples. And you can tell by the way, John recounts this next scene that every moment from Jesus' last hours is imprinted in his mind. So we're going to take a quick look at John 13. 1 to 17. And it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Wow. So Jesus has spent the last three years teaching and inputting into these young men. And He's been teaching them about His Kingdom. A way of living that is so foreign from their culture that it sets all His followers apart. And now He's leaving them with this last powerful example. Now foot washing is not something that we are overly familiar with, right? Unless we're going for a pedicure, girls or guys. Well, guys, but to give a bit of perspective, yeah, guys can get pedicures, washing your feet in those days was a necessity. Can you imagine no paved roads? The roads are dirty, they're dusty, there's animals and horses and and donkeys, thank you, mules, (laughs) and there's no Nikes, there's no sneakers, people wearing sandals, open shoes or barefoot so their feet are getting dirty and stinky and I am married to a commercial bin cleaner, my husband Michael, yes, great guy, who stands inside a bin all day while he's cleaning it (laughs) and then he wears those same boots home. So let's just say that I resonate with this foot washing and the importance of it and hopefully... You wash your feet in the shower every day. But in those days, bathing daily was a luxury for the rich. Instead, every evening they would have the lowest servant or person in the house, so usually a female, wash their feet with a small basin of water. And then they would throw the dirty water into the street. And anyone unlucky enough to be walking past gets a face full of dirty foot water. Lovely. But the fact that Jesus the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, did the job of the lowest servant was shocking to the disciples. According to the customs of that day, a teacher wouldn't even ask their students to wash their feet. And yet, and so it was even more unthinkable that a teacher would lower himself to wash his students' feet feet. It's an extreme act of lowering lowering himself and humility. And um, what's interesting is that when Matthew, one of the other disciples recounts this night, he actually reveals that the disciples entered this room debating about which one of them was the greatest. So here they are, no, I'm, I'm the favourite, I'm the greatest. And then Jesus does this incredible act of lowering himself, that incredible example of humility. Um, It says that Jesus called them together in Matthew 20 and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many." You know, there's this um, book that I love that I read called The Final Quest by um, a guy called Rick Joyner. And he believes that God gave him a vision of the church as an army and we're all dressed in differing levels of armour, (laughs) coming to how he disciplined enough, put on the armour of God and we're fighting the enemy as the church. And then he was given, in this vision, he was given this drab old cloak to wear over his armour. And he observed that everywhere he went, the angels would bow and show respect. And so he asked one of these angels why they would do that, as even the smallest angel was so much more powerful than him. And they answered, It's because of the mantle. It's the highest rank in the kingdom. And he said, this old cloak. It's just a plain old mantle. And they said, that is the mantle of humility. Jesus wore the same mantle while walking on this earth. There is nothing greater. You know, the highest position of honour in the Kingdom of God is a humble servant. The highest position that we can esteem to in the Kingdom of God is to serve others. Isn't that incredible? So John tells this story. Jesus is going around the room one by one, washing his disciples' feet, and he gets to Peter. And who loves Peter? We love Peter. He's the guy that's always rushing in, thinking later. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. Um, Not literally gross, but... Peter is watching this happen, probably feeling convicted that they should be the ones serving Jesus and washing his feet. And when Jesus gets to him, he says, this isn't right. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, Jesus wasn't talking literally here. He had just said to them that what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you'll understand later. So we can see the full picture. And we know that unless we are washed clean by Jesus through the forgiveness of our sins, we can't have relationship with Him. Salvation comes only through what Jesus did on the cross. And we can try and clean ourselves and fix ourselves up on our own and wash the dirt off. But the Bible says that our own righteousness, so our own attempts to make ourselves acceptable is like filthy rags or literal translation, like dirty underwear to God. Have you ever, you know, when someone asked you about God, I thought, I'll be okay because I'm a good person. Unfortunately, none of our good works without count, without a relationship with Jesus. When I worked as a PA in real estate, I learned about the importance of checking all the sales contracts to make sure that they weren't missing any signatures because you could get a great offer on a property. But unless you have the right signatures, it's not worth anything. And it's the same for all of our good works. Without Jesus, they are void. They are not valid. We're doing them in vain. Jesus is the one that makes it count. It's only by accepting what Jesus did for us that we can be made right with God. So then Peter, who is all in, says, well, in that case, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, and actually my my hair needs a good wash as well. Give me the full... Sponge bath. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And what he's saying there is when we receive Jesus, we are washed clean, completely clean, forgiven. We have a relationship with God and eternal life. But as we walk through life, we pick up more dirt. We pick up um, all kinds of unclean things and our hearts need to be washed again and again. And you might be a believer in here, and I know you probably know this. I thought I knew it too. But how often do we actually practice it? How often do we actually take the time at the end of each day to get clean? And to wash our hearts, to get in the presence of God, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that attitude. I'm sorry for the selfishness. I'm sorry for those thoughts. Like how often do we actually, are we disciplined to do that? To get clean? Um, Jesus is teaching us that repentance is a daily practice. It needs to be practiced daily. When Jesus was finished, He asked His disciples, Do you understand what I have done for you? This is a significant lesson, a significant moment. And Jesus didn't want to leave their understanding of it up to chance. In verse 14, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So the ushers are going to come now with the buckets and the towels. And we, no, I'm just kidding. I want to do that to you. And thankfully, Jesus is not talking about a literal foot washing ceremony. Okay, so you stress, don't stress. You're all good. (laughs) But I'm sure he's talking about serving others, right? And I'm sure we all, like the disciples, would have gladly washed Jesus' feet. Would you wash Jesus' feet? I'd do it for you, Jesus, right? Happy to serve you. But He tells us to wash each other's feet. That's a little bit harder. It's a, easy for us, easier for us to criticise those with dirty feet than to wash them. Think about this. Think about the feet that Jesus washed. Judas, who He knew would betray Him. Peter, who was about to deny Him three times. The rest of the disciples, all of them who ran in fear and hid when he was arrested, not one stuck by Jesus. Jesus never stopped loving His disciples, even in spite of their childish attitudes, their weak faith, and their slowness to understand what He's trying to teach them. And thank goodness, because how often is that us? (laughs) It's encouraging. God never stops loving us. And that is how He encourages us to love each other. Later that same evening, Jesus says this in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said that love will be the identifying mark of his disciples, of those that follow him. And not that we pray, not that we go to church, not that we um, never do anything wrong or are good people, even though we should aspire to do all of those, they're great things. But it's how we actually treat each other, how we love and serve each other. Um, this is how Andy Stanley, an American pastor, puts it. Whoever heard of such a king... In the end, He would lay down His life for His subjects. And instead of requiring His subjects to lay down their lives for Him, He would call upon His followers to lay down their lives for each other. And He said, This will be your mark. This will be your brand. This will be the distinctive that sets you apart as My followers. As I have loved you, you are to love one another. You are to love one another in such a practical, visible, noteworthy way that the world sits up and takes notice. And then you are to love your neighbours. Not simply the way you want your neighbours to love you. You're to love your neighbours the way I have loved you. And if that is not extreme enough, then Jesus would say, just because someone declares you their enemy does not mean you return the favour. Love your enemy as well. Do good to them. And Paul puts it very simply like this in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. How cool is that? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is the church. This is the kingdom of love of God that we are invited into. And as we do these things as the church, we bring more of the kingdom of God to earth. So what does this look like practically for us? It looks like loving and being committed to the church because these are your brothers and sisters then this, how you love them, will show the world that you are truly a disciple of Jesus. It means being faithful. It means being here to help and play your part. It means building relationships and being a part of each other's lives throughout the week. It means helping each other out when there's a need. It means speaking well of each other. You know, how we love and serve each other should be the church's greatest advertisement. And finally, as the band comes, Jesus said, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Serving God is not our cross to bear. It's our greatest privilege. Serving God through serving others is the greatest honour that we can have. Often the things that we said are looked down on here are the things that in heaven are the most greatly rewarded. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Be careful not to practise your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, what we do, the good we do for the thanks or for the applause or for the recognition, we've actually already received our reward. Isn't that full on? That's powerful. But it's the unseen, the unthanked things that we do, not for our own recognition, but just out of love and devotion to God in obedience. Those are the things that He values. And the eternal reward will far exceed any applause or recognition that we get on earth. I need to keep reminding myself of this because I can start out well with a great attitude, serving God, serving others. But then after a little while, I get that stinking thinking that we all get, right? And I start to seek that recognition. I start to seek that thanks. I start to seek that, come on, like surely deserves a bit of a pat on the back. But again, (laughs) um, I've just read this beautiful story that i wanted to share because it encouraged me um i have no idea if it's true or not but it's still it's it's great years ago an elderly missionary couple who had served for years in africa were returning home to america to retire when they got to the wharf to board the ship they discovered that they were booked on the same boat as a celebrity so no one paid any attention to this old couple But they watched the fanfare as the celebrity arrived. The crowd was waving and straining for a glimpse. As the boat docked in America, more crowds had turned out to greet the celebrity, but no one noticed the missionaries. They just slipped off the boat and went to hunt for a cheap apartment and for jobs. And that night, the man's spirit broke. He felt that God had abandoned them. He complained to his wife, who wisely replied, Why don't you go in the bedroom and talk to the Lord about this? (laughs) Good wife. Sometime later, he came out of the bedroom and his face was different, lighter. And his wife asked him what had happened. And he said, I went in and I told the Lord the whole thing. I told him that it's not fair. I told him how I was bitter because this celebrity received this tremendous homecoming, but no one met us as we returned home. And you know, as I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put His hand on my shoulder and said simply, my child, you're not home yet. Isn't that powerful? Your reward, our reward is in heaven. Amen. I love um, Pastor Dave Gilpin. Um, He says this, Serving God. Yes, it's often unpaid, unthanked and undervalued. But it's not to people first. It's to God. And we choose it. We leave the world to do it. The cost is ours alone and the reward will be too for all eternity. Amen. So in summary... Serving, serving others, serving God is the highest position of honour. Repentance should be a daily practice. Let how we love and serve each other draw people to faith and love for God and be encouraged because there is a heavenly reward for the unseen, unthanked acts of service and devotion. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us online today.